Should I pay 35% more for my cannabis to get it from a dispensary? That's a question I have to ask because I live in California where there is a 15% excise tax and another 11% retail sales tax and then local taxes on top of that. So you're paying a premium for product that grows in the ground and you might be able to find it on the in the underground market for much less. On the other hand, uh, there's been a spate of stories about people who are in emergency rooms because of vape product that they purchased and ask them if this is overregulated and they might give you a different answer. So we're glad to have as a guest on the Cannaboomers podcast, Alex Traverso, Chief of Communications for the California Bureau of Cannabis Control. You know, California is the fifth largest economy in the world and cannabis is a growing industry within this state. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Alex is going to give us a snapshot of a, a complicated picture and try to simplify it a little bit and give us some insight into where we're going with all this. So have a listen. If you're a first-time listener, look us up on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or CastBox or Stitcher or wherever you listen and uh, give us a review. We're trying to expand our audience and reach more people with uh, news and information about cannabis. Thanks again to Danny in Milwaukee for making us sound great and enjoy this episode of the Cannaboomers Podcast. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers Podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. We're here with Alex Traverso, Chief of Communications for the Bureau of Cannabis Control, the lead agency in regulating commercial cannabis license for medical and adult use cannabis in California. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you guys are responsible for licensing retailers, uh, distributors, testing laboratories, businesses, and events across California. That's correct. It's a lot. When you say it, like, when you say it, it sounds like a lot, and it's a big job. It is a big job. We're coming up on two years now in California since uh, that legislation passed. What's your assessment? How is it going? You know, it's still very much a work in progress, and I think that that's sort of what uh, what we expected. Um, but you know, we were we were given a pretty um, ambitious agenda of things to accomplish, and I feel like we we were able to navigate um, a lot of different challenges and get you know our online system up and running, start licensing people prior to January one of 2018, which was our goal. Um, a lot of really big jobs that I think any other state agency, given one of those things would be a big job, but we had about five of these very large things we needed to achieve and we got those things done and, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of work to be done at this point. So at this point, what would you say are the biggest challenges? Well, the biggest challenges I would say right now are continuing to get people licensed. I think there's, there's some barriers to that whether that's um, you know, still far too many cities and counties with, with a ban in place. Um, I think that there are um, challenges with enforcement. There's still too many illegal operators out there and we need to get those folks shut down, especially in areas where we have licensees. So um, we're gonna we're gonna have to keep focusing on those on those two issues. Those are probably probably the biggest ones. But you know, on any given day, a, a new challenge can emerge. Is what we've we've found over the course of these uh, past almost two years. There's a law enforcement aspect to that that I guess requires coordination. You know, I hear about Los Angeles and other areas in the state where there's just a lot of unlicensed businesses. How do you begin to bring them into the fold? Well, uh, there are things that we can do to try to bring the, those folks in. We we have a uh, we have a PR campaign that we just started a few months ago. It's called Get Weedwise. The focus of it is two two different things. One is um, trying to educate the consumer 
about why it's important to shop only at legal licensed retail locations. And the other part of it is, is really focused on, on that illegal market and trying to get those folks into the legal market or get them out of business. And that's a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit more of a challenge. I think, um, you know, you know, you mentioned how enforcement can be, you know, kind of a collaboration between a lot of different agencies and entities. And I think that, you know, the campaign is one part of that where you try to make it clear, hey, if you don't go, if you don't get a license or shut down, here are all these different penalties and fines and things that you could possibly face. Um, and then, you know, trying to cut into the illegal market business by, you know, getting consumers away from those places and showing them why it's bad to shop at those illegal shops. Um, so there's, there's different things that we can do on that front. And, you know, unfortunately enforcement doesn't happen as quickly as you would like. I mean, it's not as simple as just walking into a shop, you know, is illegal and closing their doors. You still have to, you know, investigate, you still have to build a case. You have to get a search warrant. You have to have a district attorney who's willing to prosecute, do all these different things. So it's, it's a little bit more of a challenge than people sometimes, um, imagine. Sure. I saw a statistic uh, just recently that there's $3 being spent in the illegal market for every $1 being spent at licensed dispensaries. That's an awful lot of business to go after, right? Right. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's tough because it's taking tax money away from, from the state. It's taking business away from licensees who have you know, really done, jumped through every hoop and done everything they've needed to do to get legal. So that's, you know, getting their, their local license, paying their local license fee, they're paying their taxes, they're doing everything by the books, they're paying their state license fee. I mean, they're, they're putting forth a lot of money and effort in order to follow all the rules and be legal and um, to have their business uh, cut into by this illegal market that doesn't care about you know, patients' health and well-being. They don't care about the, you know, the cleanliness of the product they're putting out there. All they care about is just making money. And that's, that's um, unfortunate that we have to deal with that. But, you know, when, when California legalized, our system was a little different than most where, you know, we weren't just starting from scratch. I mean, we had, we had medical for 20 years with no, no regulations and rules around it. And so uh, that made our job a little bit more complicated because we as the regulators weren't able to grow at the same rate as the industry. The industry was already grown and out there and, and you know, had this thriving medical market. And so we really had to get up to speed quickly. And, you know, in some ways we're still, we're still working to, you know, get caught up to where the industry is. So um, sometimes with, uh, with those, you know, illegal shops, it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to rein it all in. Well, I think we're talking maybe there's more prongs, but at least there's two prongs. There's the consumer education aspect of this and letting people know that if they want a safe and efficacious medicine, the, the best way to do that is through a dispensary. And then there's the law enforcement arm of it too. But back to the consumer piece, I mean, the kind of the elephant in the room there is the tax bite. People are going to the illegal market because they don't have to pay about a 35% tax. Right. And that's really tough, I, you know, and I, I realize in order to, you know, when Prop 64 passed, there were, you know, certain things written into it. And like a lot of propositions, um, you know, certain things are put in there to make it palatable for everybody. So, so it is more likely to pass. And so, you know, when doing that, there are things in Prop 64 that certainly made, um, you know, the legalization a little bit more of a challenge with, you know, whether that's local control, whether that's, you know, setting the state's excise tax at 15% and then, you know, allow, you know, having local control in place, the locals can, can set their tax rates anywhere they want. 
Um, and as much as the state prior to legalization, prior to January 1 of 2018, we would go all over the state and go to every you know, local town hall or summit or meeting, whatever you wanted to call it. And you know, as much as we could, the state doesn't have the jurisdiction to step in and say, here's what you guys have to do. It was more, well, let's talk about some of the things that might potentially be problems. And one of the things was, you know, in order for legalization to be successful and to sort of eliminate the illegal market, or at least start cutting into it, the taxes have to be at a rate that are that are not overly burdensome because, you know, you want people to just support the legal market. Um, and if the taxes are too high, it's going to be a problem. And I think that that's what we're finding. But I think you're also seeing some, um, you know, jurisdictions around the state that are realizing that maybe their tax rate is a little too high and they're starting to lower them a little bit. So, you know, again, I, ha- I have some hope that over the course of, you know, we're, we're 20 months into this thing. And if, and, you know, as the years progress, as we get into, you know, year three, year four, um, I think some of these things are going to be, they're going to, they're going to be some course corrections and whether that's, whether taxes is one part of that, um, we'll see. Um, but I think that that is a big factor that, you know, does, um, drive people to the illegal market is, um, you know, they're the bottom line, but then, uh, you know, you also look at some of the news that broke over the course of the last week or two about people getting sick from, you know, vaping illegal illegal products, and uh, and those are considerations too that people have to be wor- worried about. You know, you, there aren't those controls in, on the illegal market. You may be paying less, but you know, you you really don't know where your product's coming from, um, and and whether it's going to make you sick or not. Right. There could be pesticides or solvents or uh, all kinds of things on your product that you don't want. Is that part of the messaging with your campaign to consumers? That's a big part of it. Uh, a big part of it. And, and, you know, I mean, I think the people, you know, there is that skeptical percentage of the population that is, you know, have been, you know, cannabis consumers for years and years and very skeptically look at things and say, well, everything was fine. We didn't need you guys to come in and do X, Y, and Z. You know, the products have always, this is what I've been using all these years. But, you know, the reality of it is now um, with legalization in place, um, you know, legal product that you get at a dispensary is very clean. It's gone, it's gone through rigorous testing. And I think that most people will tell you that the testing standards in California are among the, the most strict of any, any state that has legalized cannabis to this point. Um, but on the flip side of that, the illegal market, the standards are even more lax than they've ever been. And so you're, there's a divide between what's clean and what's dirty. And the dirty stuff is getting dirtier and the clean stuff is cleaner than it's ever been. So, um, you know, when you're going to the illegal market, you just have to be aware of that. And I think when you're seeing people get sick with these, um, you know, these really serious respiratory problems that are sending them to the emergency room, you know, I think that's all really the, that's all the indication you need um, to know that there, there's this dangerous stuff out there. And unless you, you know, if you really want to be sure of what you're getting, you're going to go to a legal shop to, to buy your cannabis. Well, especially for something like a vape pen, but for flour, people might not be as vigilant, but you know, there's, there's certainly different aspects to it. You mentioned the 15% excise tax, and then there's another nine to 11% retail sales tax. And then on, so that's around 25%. And then on top of that, you have local governments tacking on their percentage. You know, I guess we're talking about possibly at some point rolling, rolling that back and making it a little more consumer friendly. 
you know, and there's been efforts, there's been efforts on that front in the legislature, and it would take legislative action because it would be a change to the statute. So that would be something that we, we as the Bureau of Cannabis Control couldn't say, oh, we're going to lower, we're going to, we've heard the industry, we're going to lower the tax rate. That's something that would require legislation. And, and I think you've seen the past two years in our state legislature, there's been um, legislation to reduce the excise tax uh, from 15 to, I think, 11%, which, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's better. I, I don't know that there's people in the industry who would say that that's that, that that would be great or that that would solve all the problems. But you know, I think any reduction would 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 probably be viewed as a good thing um, by the industry. So, you know, it's just a matter of um, you know seeing what it's going to take to get that legislation passed at some point, or if there's going to be a different move to lower lower taxes because. Um, that bill has not been successful the past two years because I think that when you're seeing the industry just starting out and you're seeing tax revenues come in and there were certain estimates thrown out there that, you know, the, the early revenues didn't, didn't meet, um, I think there's less of an appetite from the legislature to say, well, the, tax, the taxes aren't coming in the way we expected, so let's go ahead and lower the tax rate. I think they're looking at, well, if we're not getting the money that we're, we, we thought we were going to get, why would we lower the taxes? So there's two ways of looking at that, right? I mean, the, the industry is saying like, well, maybe if you lowered it, we would pay it, you know, but um, so I don't know. We're, I think, uh, I think that's uh, one, one, one build that's going to take maybe a little bit more time to, um, to, you know, make its way through the process. Sure. And, and that's political concerns that are outside of your control. Your job is to enforce the statute as, as it is on the books. Exactly. That's right. Sort of a broader question, you know, California has a reputation as a leader in innovation, and we came to this after Colorado and Washington and Canada, and there's other states coming online now. Are there things we can learn? I mean, we just mentioned that you are kind of limited by the law, but do you have any flexibility to look at what other states are doing and go, you know, that's a good idea. Maybe we should do that. Yeah, I think, you know, I've... I've I've been at this job for almost three years and, and I told this to people a lot and it, you know, and I, I come from a legislative background. So usually it's, you know, California is always striving to be the first state to do something. We're going to be the first state to do this. We're going to be the first state to do that. This is one of those cases with, with legalizing cannabis that it's probably better that we weren't the first um, because, you know, you can look at states like Colorado and Washington and Oregon and you can learn lessons. Um, and we certainly talked to a lot of those regulators in other states as we were drafting our own regulations for, for cannabis. And that's way back when it, before Prop 64 even passed, when we were just, um, our mission was solely to craft uh, regulations for the medical cannabis industry because we hadn't legalized rec yet. So we looked at what other states did and we tried to put best practices into place. And we, we really looked at other states' uh, lessons learned more than anything, whether that's you know, child resistant packaging or whether that's, you know, hey, we need to make sure we have X number of labs available right out of the gate or else there's going to be a bottleneck in testing and products going to have a hard time getting to the shelves, things like that. But now where we're at, I mean, I think, I think we've learned a lot from, from other states. And now it's really, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's, um, our, our experience is a lot different because California is, you know, a state of 40 million residents, um, you know, the, the cannabis market in Los Angeles alone is, is probably what you would find in the entire state of Colorado. So, um, you know, regulating and, you know, enforcing and doing all those things in a state this large that, that has the history that we have that, you know, again, you know, after 20 years of 
medical cannabis being legal with no rules, you have to go back to these folks and say, hey, well, now you're going to have to accept these rules. And that's, that's a tough thing. Um, because I don't know about you, but you know, if you're running a business one way for two decades, and then someone comes in and says, okay, that's great. You've done this for 20 years, but now here's the rules you're going to have to follow. A lot of people aren't going to, that's not going to work for people um, because they have this institutional knowledge about the way things were. And it's going to be hard for them to look at 150 pages of regulations and say, okay, well, yeah, I'll do all this. The people who are new to the market, the people who, you know, look at um, the opportunity of cannabis business in California and say, hey, I think that's for me. I think I'm going to try to do that. Uh, just give me the rules and I'll just follow them. It's easier for them because they're, they're not, they're, they're not, they're, their thinking isn't clouded with like, but, but it was so much easier before, you know, the new, the new people in the market are just saying, okay, well, I'll follow whatever the rules are. Let me, let me follow them. And that's, that's that. So our experience has definitely been a little bit more of a challenge just based on, based on the state's history with cannabis. Sure. Well, and as you described, you have sort of a PR front with consumers themselves. You have a legislative front where maybe there could be some work to roll back the taxes. And then there's the whole culture that you just described of sort of a, an established um, sector of the economy that is now facing more rules than they had before. So, yeah, it's a tough challenge for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there are these little things. And, you know, there, I, I shouldn't say that, that everything or every change is left up to the legislature or the governor's office to try to come up with some sort of a fix. I mean, we, you know, this fall will probably have after, after, um, you know, all the bills have gone to the governor's desk, and he's either signed or vetoed, you know, however many cannabis bills are still working their way through the process. And I know there are there, there are still some um, out there that are pending. Um, if, depending upon what he signs, if he signs a few things into law that ch would change regulations, we'll have to come up with some some changes to our system. So this fall, we'll probably have a sort of a cleanup legislative package or a cleanup regulation package and then, you know, incorporate anything new that may pass that, that sort of impacts what our regulations say. So there's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a process, like I said, of fine tuning things over the next few years, just as you know, issues come up. And that's why, you know, after 20 months, you have a pretty good idea of how things are moving along and what's working and what's not working. And, um, you know, and I think earlier in the legislative process this year, I think at one point, there was about 60 different cannabis related bills out there, because the industry is saying, okay, well, this isn't working. And now we're finding a legislator who's willing to maybe carry a bill that will help us solve that problem or, you know, or we'll come to the bureau and say, you know, here's this little fix that could have a big impact in the grand scheme of things. And that's something that we could take care of. So um, there are a variety of ways for things to, you know, continue to be fine tuned and for changes to be made when they need to be made. This is above my pay grade. I don't pay that much attention to state politics, but hopefully Sacramento is not as broken as Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little bit easier in California, too, when you have um, when you have uh, um, you know, our, our politics in the state are a little bit, uh, we have the Democrats pretty much control the, uh, the legislature here because we are pretty much a, um, about as blue of a state as you can get. So um, I think if, if, if folks have things that make sense, it's a little easier to run them through, um, run them through our legislature. Yeah, it's a real test of uh, the efficacy of our politics. So, I mean, you mentioned some local control too, and, and, and that does exist. There, sometimes it's called a patchwork of laws, but there, there are differences by locality too, right? Correct, and I think that that's, it's very, um, it is. It's like a, the way the state looks right now, it's kind of like a, kind of looks like a quilt, I guess you could say, because you have, you have 
you know, 480 some odd cities and you've got, you know, 58 counties and each of them can do uh, something, put something different in place. So if you have a city that says, you know, I would like to, or we'd, we'd like to have, you know, five dispensaries, five legal dispensaries, and we'll allow for some cultivation, uh, but no manufacturing. And we'd like like one testing lab. Those are, those are the, those are hard things to, you know, it's, there's no uniformity really. Right. So you have, I mean, I think the last estimate I saw somewhere between 25 and 30% of all those jurisdictions, um, those, uh, only about 25 to 30% allow for retail licenses. So I saw a lot. Um, and you know, so we need, so we need to continue to try to figure out with some of these cities and counties, like what are the, what are the barriers to entry? Like, what are some of the things you're considering? Is it just, we never want to allow for commercial cannabis activity or are there other concerns or is it like a manpower situation when you, when it comes to drafting regulations that work for your area? Is that, is that something that's a little bit of a hindrance or are you really just trying to take your time to figure out what's going to be the best way to regulate cannabis in your area? Because, you know, I think we all know just because there's a ban in place doesn't mean that there's no cannabis activity there. It just means that, you know, you don't have, you, you're not going to have the state support in cleaning up, you know, whatever illegal activity you have, because our priority is going to be in those areas where we have licensees. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things to consider. And, you know, um, when you, like I said, when you have 25% of your cities and counties that allow retail, um, that really doesn't, doesn't really jibe with, you know, 58% of voters voting for Prop 64, you know, so it's, so you're wondering, okay, well, what's, seems like this is what the people wanted, but, but we're still having a hard time getting um, more cities and counties to the table. So um, what we have uh, at the Bureau that we're working on right now is we're trying to create sort of a local liaison office where, you know, cities and counties can come to us and use some of our staff as a resource to say, okay, well, here's what we're considering, or, you know, we've got a couple issues that we want to talk through, and we'll have staff available to help them. Because again, we can't just come in and say, do this, do that, do that, and then, you know, sign your ordinance and pass that, and we're good to go. It's more just trying to help help people along and be a resource. So um, we're trying to do as much as we can to um, hopefully, you know, get more more cities and counties to come online and uh, get more people into the licensed market in California. So for those 70 to 75% of cities and towns who are not, not okay with retail sales, are they clustered? Is there a demographic uh, element to this? I mean, is urban coastal where you have more cities and towns who are, are willing to do this or how does it, does it break out anyway? Yeah, it, it does. It's uh, I think, I think what you see is maybe more, um, you know, further up north, there are areas, not in the Emerald Triangle, obviously, but, you know, areas further up, like as you head toward the border, toward uh, Oregon, um, there's a lot of bands in place there, a lot in the Central Valley, so around Fresno, um, down to Bakersfield in there, but then you have, obviously, you have bigger cities like LA, uh, San Francisco, Sacramento, San Diego, um, Long Beach, all those areas down there that, that have a market in place, Orange County, um, those seem to be the areas where we have a higher concentration of licensees. So yeah, it's a lot of it is really, um, I think the, what they call the pot desert is right in the central Valley. Mm, okay. But I mean, again, some of those places too, those 25% that I cited of that have, um, you know, retail, the, the rest of them, the 70%, they may have, you know, they may allow for some cultivation or manufacturing or just different things. And that's, 
you know, so when, 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 when we get applications for licenses, you know, those areas that cap their licenses, like, uh, you know, I think for a while Sacramento only had 30, 30 retail licenses. Um, that makes it hard for, for new entrants into the game as well. Um, because you know, there's, there's areas where it's, uh, there may have, there may have been more retail storefronts before under the medical rules, but then with legalization of uh, adult use, it became, okay, well now that we have to put, we have to put rules in place, we may cap our licensees and that creates a problem too, because where did the rest of those people go? Um, so there could have been more than 30, I'm sure there were more than 30 uh, medical uh, locations in Sacramento, but after legalization, I think that the idea was, okay, well, we'll, we'll have 30 legal shops. Um, so that, that, again, adds to the enforcement challenge of, okay, either these people shut down or do they go underground? I mean, what do we, what do we do? So, um, you know, continuing to work through those things as well is a challenge. A lot of people look at it and say, why can't this be more like alcohol? Could we regulate it the way that we do alcohol? Is that a legitimate um, approach? Yeah, you know, I think we've, I think we, I think we've heard that a lot. Um, and, you know, obviously our, our bureau chief uh, has a background at alcohol beverage control for more than 20 years. And so she's gotten that, that question quite a bit, but there's, there's just so many nuances to cannabis and so many different things, whereas you're just, you're regulating, you know, beer, wine, and distilled spirits. Um, and that, that process has been in place for quite a while. And it's a little, it's a little harder because again, you, you know, the industry, the cannabis industry evolves pretty quickly. And when we talked earlier about what some of the things happening in other States, you know, the business models are going to change pretty quickly where it's not just going to be retail storefronts. You could be talking about, you know, cannabis hotels or, um, you know, going, being able to go to, um, you know, a farm and do like some sort of a tasting similar to what you see with, you know, at wineries. And um, these things, these things are coming up in other states. I mean, I, I took a trip to Colorado two, two years ago, just for, um, just for, just for fun with my family. And I saw, you know, a little gas station dispensaries and things like that. I mean, I was, I was kind of blown away and I was like, God, this is where we're, this is probably where we're headed. So it's, um, you know, the alcohol thing. I think that there are some, there are some, maybe some lessons that you can, you can, or some some correlations you can draw, but it, uh, it 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 becomes a little bit more difficult at the rate that this this industry evolves because we're gonna we're, we'll be looking at, um, you know, Lagunitas has has cannabis waters and infused waters and things like this. I mean, there's I think beverage companies are going to start coming toward the cannabis industry, and there's going to be crossover there. So it's it's a lot of different things. What do you see at the federal level? Do you think descheduling will happen? Will there be reform in banking and so on? And, and what effect would those changes have in California? Um, you know, I think that I, I, I'm hopeful that we'll see something on the federal front pretty soon. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, about that. Um, you saw the, the farm bill um, legalizing hemp. So that's obviously been a big move in, in, a, in the direction toward, you know, federal legalization. But I mean, if you're looking at a lot of the issues that that industry operators face, um, you know, like you mentioned, banking, um, you know, with taxes as well, because you know, as a cannabis business, you can't write off any ta any of your business expenses, so that's a huge issue. So, so you know, obviously, there's a lot of taxes being paid by the by the cannabis industry that um, you know ordinary ordinary businesses would be able to write off certain things, and they can't. Um, the access to access to banking is a huge deal. All these things, this, these would this would solve a lot of problems if if cannabis were were to be descheduled or scheduled, you know, drop down. It would, it would it would make 
a lot of things easier for operators, I think, being able to have access to banking, being able to, you know, write off expenses that would help them. I mean, I think that's the, the, the key point right now is trying to find a way for, for legal operators to have an easier time doing business because um, we want the industry to succeed. And if there was uh, some movement at the federal level, that would certainly, um, that would certainly help a lot of folks. What would you tell someone who's interested in starting a cannabis business in California? Uh, I would, I would, what would I tell them? <laughs> uh, I would tell them, uh, you know, to, um, probably to find something on the periphery that is similar to like the gold rush, right? Don't, don't be a gold miner and be the, be the person that sells the, the, the pickaxes and the, and the pans and, you know, clothing or whatever, you know, do find, <laughs> I don't, cause it's, it's, it's tough right now. I don't, I don't know that. Um, it would be very easy for folks to jump in and start up a business right now unless you uh, really had a lot of capital at your disposal and you had a really um, well-constructed business plan. Um, because now at this stage, I mean, we have, you know, we have, a, there's a lot of retailers and the market's already out there. So it's the people who are out there and, and trying to get their footing right now that, um, you know, I, I don't know that somebody just getting into the industry right now would have the easiest time um, and, you know, starting a, starting a business. Um, you almost want to wait until things sort of stabilize a little bit, but, um, you know, we're again, every day continuing to try to work to, to make things easier for operators. But, um, I would, uh, I would definitely, um, preach patience for anyone who was, who was trying to get started now. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. I mean, you know, mom and pop entrepreneurs or, or the little guys might just be looking at getting squashed by the, the big players, you know, um, the people who do have a lot of capital can roll in and, and set up and then have a, have a lead. Right. It's, it's definitely, it, like I said, it's definitely tough for, unfortunately for those folks who helped sort of pave the, pave the road to getting to this point because, um, you know, again, having that, that institutional knowledge and having that, um, having operated for as long as sometimes, again, it's like a, it's a, a mental block. You almost need to get over and say, okay, well, I just need to, I need to just embrace this new reality and figure out a way to, um, to, to keep my business up and running and adapt to the, to the new, to the new rules. Um, but that's, you know, that's easier said than done for, for a lot of people, especially those folks who, who, you know, liked the old system. So, and are there programs uh, within California as there are in other states for people who were incarcerated on a cannabis wrap uh, and, and they get a shot at, at a business. Are there any things like that? Yeah. You're talking about sort of social equity type yeah. programs. Yeah, yeah. There's um, so, so we um, in fact, we uh, just this, just this past month at the end of July um, we there's, there's money in for uh, state grants for uh, equity programs. So basically how that works is, there was legislation uh, about a year ago that was passed that um, approved uh, about $10 million for uh, equity grants. And so what, how that works is cities and counties that have a social equity program, uh, they can apply to the state for some of that grant money. And basically they describe how they're going to utilize that or how many, how many um, equity applicants they have. And so the state, at the end of this month, um, the application deadline ends August 30th. And so we'll, we'll have received um, probably some applications from Los Angeles, uh, Long Beach, uh, Humboldt, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Sacramento, cities that have uh, established equity programs. 
And so we'll divide up that money. And so the idea with that is, again, 10 million is not, not a lot when you consider, um, consider how, many, how many equity applicants would be out there, but it's, uh, it's a start. And so the idea would be to get that grant money out there and then the, the jurisdictions would basically report back to the state on how that money was working in, the, in, the, in, their, in their industry. And then for all intents and purposes, if, it's, if it looks like it's successful, then, you know, then potentially the legislature could make another, another run at adding some additional money to, to help uh, even more equity applicants. So we're excited to finally get that money out there. And so the application period, like I said, closes at the end of this month, and then we'll um, start awarding that, that money to jurisdictions. So it sounds like it's sort of a, a pilot program at this point. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think a lot of, I think, you know, again, we'll, we'll see how we start out. And, um, I think that the hope is that, uh, the 10 million will, um, help, help a good number of folks. And then we can again, show some success there and, and maybe go back and try to provide more money for, for equity applicants. At least I think that's the, the, the hope in the industry as well. Say I'm a, a grower or, you know, I, I run a underground dispensary in LA and I'm, I, I grow it organically or I know that it is organic and, and I have a clientele who trusts me and things are going great and I don't have to pay all those taxes. What incentive do I have to, to come in? Is there going to be a carrot and a stick? I mean, is there going to be some reason to do it? And then is there going to be some reason not to do it? Is there, would there be a crack, a, a crackdown coming? Yeah, well, I think, I think, um, I, I think that uh, I think that the one reason to the reason to come in obviously is that it's it's the law, right? Like yeah. you, you you know you in order to operate and have um, be engaged in commercial cannabis activity, you need a license to do that. However, when when you know when we first started uh, back in January of 2018 that we knew that wasn't going to be the case right away, right? There's, you know, people, we had about 400 licenses issued on January 1st of 2018. And we knew there were a lot more operators out there. So what we tried to do is we sent, we sent cease and desist letters to the people we knew. I mean, you can go on, you could go on weed maps or other online platforms and you can, you know, find the, you know, illegal operators that don't have a license number. And so we, we sent letters to their address, told them to shut down, things like that offered them, you know, said, Hey, if you need, you need a license to operate, we know you're operating and you don't have a license. Here's, you know, here's where to go to get resources to figure out how to get licensed. If you need assistance, you're, you can call, you know, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, we can help walk you through the process. And then we kind of waited, we gave, you know, it was kind of like a little unspoken grace period before we really went out and started uh, doing enforcement. But, you know, you also look at it in a way where, you know, the folks out there operating illegally, you know, you can almost put them into certain buckets, right? You have people out there who have no intention ever of getting a license. They're probably making a lot of money right now. They don't, they don't, they don't care about, you know, potentially getting cracked down upon. They're just trying to make as much money as they can between now and whenever that happens. And then you have people who could be in a jurisdiction where there is, um, you know, only a certain number of licenses available, or there's a phased in approach to licensing, like in Los Angeles, for instance, you know, there's, they, they've done, I think, two phases or two rounds of licensing, they're about to start their third phase. So there are people out there who are kind of in this limbo that they're saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be a part of the third phase. And I've, I've been paying my taxes, and I'm doing everything I can. So then when I get my shot, I'm ready to go. And so we need to, you know, as a, as part of our enforcement effort, we need to, we need to be able to pri prioritize, go after the, the, the bad folks first, 
right? Like try to, cause, cause we do have, you know, again, we have 40 million residents in our state, the industries out there, there's, you know, in Los Angeles alone, if they've got a couple hundred legal operators, I'm sure they have more than double that in terms of illegal operators. So there's a, there's a big job at hand. And so we, we have to really prioritize those, those bad actors and get them out of there first. And then again, do what we can to sort of help the, the other folks find a way into the legal side of things, especially for, for anyone who wants to get a license and is actively trying to get licensed. So it's, uh, it's, it, it does become a bit of a challenge in that front too. Yeah, sort of a tiered approach where you're, you're, you're going after the, the biggest scoff laws, I guess, and then um, exactly give, giving some incentive to others to come in. That's, that's, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. We've covered what you would tell someone thinking about entering the business. What would you tell a consumer about why they should go to a licensed dispensary? So again, the whole, the whole point of our um, public relations campaign that we're working on now, and we just, we just launched that campaign uh, June 21st. Uh, <clears throat> it's called Get Weed Wise. And again, we're, we really want the consumer to know that uh, shopping from a licensed uh, retail location, the product you buy is going to have gone through the rigorous state testing. It's going to be clean. It's not going to be something that makes you sick. It's not going to have toxins on it. Um, you know, you're, uh, you, um, you're going to be supporting the legal market, supporting these operators who have put in this effort. Uh, and you, you know, again, like I said, there's, there's been issues in this past, past couple weeks where people are buying this uh, illegal product and it's cheaper, but again, you get what you pay for. Um, it's, um, you know, again, you, you could walk into an unlicensed shop and find these vape cartridges that you think are these recognizable brands and there are these knockoffs, these counterfeit products that are a big, a big problem that are loaded with, you know, in some cases, and I'm, again, I'm not a, I'm not a lab person by any stretch, but I've seen um, evidence from one of our distributors who said, who has made this a big issue for, for them just trying to get rid of these counterfeit products and where they're coming from. And he's, you know, they're having them independently tested and there are certain pesticides that are checking in at like, 56,000 percent of what's what's allowed i mean there's some really bad stuff out there and again you're seeing the the people who had these respiratory problems that had to go into the emergency room um they that sounded incredibly serious like they had to they had to have breathing treatments and do all this stuff and um it, it just it sounded and it's impacting people who are anywhere from 20 years old to 60 years old so a lot of times when we talked about how important it is for people to find safe cannabis and we want to, we want to make sure that patients are getting what they need, you know, people are saying, well, it's, you know, it's, it's really, you know, older people who are impacted by that or whatever. It's not in this case. Now the product, again, you, you really have to worry about what you're getting because there's some really seriously bad stuff in that product that can make anybody sick, not just people who, who already are ill or, or elderly. That's, it's, it's really anybody. So, um, the point is to tell folks to go to capotcheck.com. That's the location to go to search and see if the place they're going to go to actually has a state license. So we want people to be uh, concerned about where they're shopping because they definitely should be concerned about what they're getting because what we're, what we're finding as the weeks and months unfold is there's some stuff on the illegal market that, that, is, that is really not good and, and can, can make people seriously ill. So it's, it's about peace of mind and confidence that you've got a quality product that is not going to put you in the hospital. Did you say capotcheck.com? Yeah, so like California, so capotcheck.com. That's, that's where you can go and you can search to see 
um, if the business you're about to go to has a license or not, if you're, if you're unsure, because again, a lot of times you can, you know, just because there's a green cross on the door out in front doesn't mean that it's a license, uh, licensed shop. You're at the intersection of, of government and law enforcement and, and commerce and a lot of moving parts. No one has a crystal ball, but we've talked about things that are evolving slowly, things that are happening quickly. Where do you see this industry in, say, five or 10 years? You know, I think um, it's sometimes it's really tough to kind of look into the crystal ball, especially when we've got, you know, more often than not, our heads down and just working away at what we've got right in front of us. But you know, five to 10 years from now, I would, I would expect that, um, you know, the, the, the volatility will definitely have, um, uh, will have gone away. I think you'll see, you know, more, more cities and counties, uh, coming online. Uh, my hope is that it'll be easier for, for legal operators that, you know, the tax rates will have, will have come down a little bit. Um, I hope again, at the federal level, there'll be a descheduling of cannabis so we can actually have businesses, um, be able to bank and to write off their their uh, and their um, their operating expenses and their business expenses, and I think you're going to see some really interesting business models too. I think I think as you see places evolve, I mean, look at what's happening in West Hollywood. They're they're doing these uh, consumption lounges. You're going to see more businesses like that where you you know have a you know a bud and breakfast, like I said, or a um, you know more of a tourism aspect to the industry. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of possibility here, and I think you have a lot of really smart, intelligent, um, innovative operators who are trying to find ways to, you know, basically make their mark in the industry and try to do something that's different. Um, so yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of innovation in the next uh, next five to ten years. And again, hopefully, as the industry um, gets a little bit more established, I think. I think you'll see people do even more to try to support it and whether that's legislatively and trying to make things easier for operators or um, I still think there's a there's a good percentage of the population that's kind of taken a well let's wait and see how this thing rolls out and how it works and even through 20 months I think there's probably still some folks uh, saying well you know let's let's wait a little bit and then we'll see and so I think we'll I think you know over the course of the next few years we're we're going to see more people get even even more comfortable with uh, with the idea of legal cannabis and and do more to support the industry I know our listeners will be really interested in this episode because you've given us a lot of perspective on things that uh, aren't always common knowledge to consumers where can people find you online um, you mentioned capotcheck.com. Are there other sites where, where consumers or businesses can go and, and find more information? Yeah, I think the best spot for people to go uh, to check out is they can go to cannabis.ca.gov. That's our state cannabis web portal. And what we do there is we we basically round up. I mean, there's you know you think of the Bureau of Cannabis Control as the end all be all of of cannabis um, you know regulation, and that's not the case. So we have you know, uh, food and agriculture, public health, all these different state agencies that have some little thing to do with cannabis. And we sort of round all of that stuff up on the cannabis portal. So you can get a lot of information there, fact sheets, um, you know, different, different answers to questions, common questions you might have, um, all information that comes out of all these state agencies, um, calendar of events, things like that, information about our Get Weed Wise campaign, all that stuff is all in that one sort of one-stop shop. So that's a, that's a great place to go and uh, check that out. And then, you know, we're on social media as well. So Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, look up the Bureau of Cannabis Control and 
between those sites. You'll be able to stay on top of all the news that we're putting out. Well, thanks again for taking some time to talk with us and uh, maybe we'll do this again. I'd love to. That'd be great. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.